Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When thinking about the world that we have at our disposal and thinking about the life that we have available to us to go out and live, there are many assumptions that people make about the life that we have available to us. In general, we assume that we will all grow up from childhood through our teenage years and to become adults, and we all assume that we will find a job, we will find a way that we can make a living and participate in the world that we are a part of to be of service to people and also to enjoy the benefit of the labor that we go through in our daily lives. In many cases, we assume that we will marry and that we will have a family, that perhaps we will have children and we will raise those children to become adults as well. And if we don't have children, then we will enjoy the spouse that we are married to and work together in order to benefit from each other's work and increase the quality of life for one another. If a person has a family, we often assume that they are going to watch their family grow up and mature and perhaps even watch our children have children of their own and watch our grandchildren grow up and become adults as we would hope that they would become. We generally assume that a person should have a long lifespan, long in the sense that they live to be at least as old as the average person will live to be, and if that's the case, then we make the assumption that that defines a good, long, quality, and healthy life, and that if a person lives to be of that age, then they will have had ample opportunity, many opportunities, to be able to enjoy the world that they have before them and that they have been able to be a part of. But it turns out that many people don't get to live as long as we would hope that they would be able to live. And in many cases, people don't grow up. There are occasions when people will die before they become a teenager or before they become a young adult. In many cases, people do not find work, or at least the kind of work that they would like to be involved in. It's very common for people to spend their entire lives working a job that they really don't enjoy at all, and they would prefer to find something else, but they are not able to find something else, either because of a lack of skills or a lack of availability. There are many reasons why people end up doing the kind of work that that they do as they live their daily lives. Many people do get married, but not everyone gets married. And of those who do get married, many of them don't stay married. Uh, Having a family is something that many people would desire to have, but in many cases, people just don't have the opportunity to have a family or their family breaks up as a result of decisions that the adults make. And even then, should they have children, they may not live long enough to watch their children become adults. These are all assumptions that we make about what life should be like. And if other people do not experience a life that we think they should be able to experience, if they don't experience that, then we say that they are suffering. We say that they are not really experiencing the maximum benefit that they might be able to obtain if they were like us. Or perhaps we might discover that we're not going to live as long as we thought that we were going to live, or we are not going to have the kinds of relationships that we would like to have. And so we can look at ourselves and pass judgment on ourselves in a very similar way and be extremely depressed over the failures and over the loss that we are going to experience. 
But these are all based on expectations, and many of these expectations might be very realistic, but not all of them could be realistic. And even if they are realistic and they don't come through, that does not necessarily mean that someone is at fault. It doesn't mean that. When it comes to death, when it comes to ending this life, that at some point our life will end, your life will end and my life will end here, at some point that's going to happen. And when it comes to that, people really need to take this seriously and take it from the proper perspective. In most cases, people look at the subject of death and the end of life as a means of evaluating God or or passing judgment on God. If a person dies before we think that they should die, for example, we will often pass judgment on God and say that he was unjust or irresponsible or not fair. It's very easy for us to do that because of our expectations, because of what we think about how people should be able to live when they are here on this earth. But the reality is is that we all will die, and that timing in terms of when we will die While many people do believe that God is responsible for that and that he dictates that, that's not necessarily going to be the case in all situations. It just isn't. As far as I'm aware, our God never said that he would decide precisely when everyone was going to die. Now, I realize that on many occasions our God has intervened and he has involved himself in our lives and he has caused certain people to pass away, to enter into the kingdom of heaven or go to hell either way. He has intervened in our lives at times, but just because he has done it on occasion doesn't necessarily mean that he always does that or that he is required to always do that. And so when we pass judgment on God because we're not happy with the timing of a person's death, when we pass judgment on him in that way, I sincerely believe that it can be very unfair to say the least. The determination that people would die, that people would eventually have a moment in their life when their life would end, That decision was made a long time ago. That decision was made back in the time of Adam and Eve when they fell by eating from the wrong tree, by violating the law of God, and they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. When that occurred, then our God changed everything about this world. He changed everything about our lives. He made many physiological changes within us, and he changed the world as well. There were a lot of changes that occurred. But the fundamental change that really took place was that he determined that people would not live here forever. That was when that decision was made. And so when we look at people's lives today and we consider their lives coming to an end today, quite often it's easy for us to blame God or say that he is responsible. And yet he established that a long time ago, established the fact that a person's life would actually end. He established that a long time ago. And people's lives end due to various reasons, various causes. It might very well be a divine judgment. That may be true. It might be just simply a divine decision, not based on judgment, but just a decision that he makes to end a person's life. It could be the result of disease or illness. That could very well be the case. And we can't necessarily blame God for that, even though he did provide us with illnesses and diseases. That's true. And many of them will take the lives of many people. But I sincerely believe that that was an act of mercy on his part in order to ensure that we would actually depart from this earth because this is not heaven. Heaven is something that we will have the opportunity to enter into, but this is definitely not it. And so in that sense, we should actually be quite thankful that a person would be able to leave this earth early in comparison with others because that gives them a greater opportunity to be in the presence of the living God which I personally believe is a lot better than being here in the presence of other people here on earth, 
where we experience a great deal of suffering and sin and other problems of life. Another reason for the end of life for many people is just simply an accident. It could be an accident. It could be a deliberate decision on the part of someone else. There are many reasons why a person may die besides just looking at it as a divine judgment, a divine decision, or a disease or illness. There are many reasons why a person may pass away. And I honestly do not believe that we need to be concerned or have an absolute answer with regards to why many people pass away. I honestly don't think that that is to be our concern. And yet many people do feel that it is important because they need an explanation as to why their life has changed. They need an explanation of some kind. And I can appreciate that, but I don't think that we should require our God to give us some kind of an explanation when he never promised that he would. Now, our God certainly does have the power and the ability in order to keep people from suffering. And he certainly has the power and the ability to keep people from dying. There's no question about that. And he has the power and the ability to cause a person to die. We know that as well. But just because he has this ability, just because he can intervene in our lives and cause these changes, does not mean that he will. And it also does not mean that he is responsible for all of the events that occur on this planet. Just because he has this power does not mean that you can rightfully hold him responsible for what occurs. Just because he can intervene doesn't mean that he will. You need to understand that there's a lot more going on here than just providing somebody with the opportunity to indulge their flesh more and more or to provide someone with the opportunity to enjoy this planet more and more. There's a lot more going on than just that. You need to perceive it from God's perspective. From our God's perspective, I sincerely believe that his objective with regards to why you are even here at all is to have an opportunity to know who he is. I sincerely believe that that is why you are here, is so that you can have an opportunity to know who he is. You are not here for the purpose of being able to grow up and live a long life. You are not here for the purpose of being able to find employment that you enjoy and do that for many years. You are not here for the purpose of having a family, and you are not here for the purpose of watching your family grow and have families of their own. And you are definitely not here for the purpose of living a long life. That's not why you're here. You are here so that you can have an opportunity to know your God. And I sincerely believe that he will provide you with many opportunities in order to know him. And I do realize that there are many questions about exceptions, such as babies who are born and then die within a few days, things like that. I understand that. I'm not referring to those exceptional details. I'm just referring to the general understanding, the general notion that you need to get in touch with the fact that you are here so that you can have an opportunity to know who he is. And when you die, you will have a further opportunity to grow more in a relationship with him. But if you didn't even consider doing that while you were here then there's no reason for him to even provide you with an opportunity to follow through and enjoy him more later on. There's no reason for him to do that, and I sincerely believe that many people will not enter into the kingdom of heaven because of their rejection of him here on earth. And the reason why I say that is because that's what the Lord Jesus said. That's what the gospel reveals. That's what the apostles have revealed. To me, this is a basic fundamental truth. It has plenty of evidence to support it. And so when we consider specific passages, such as Acts chapter 5, talking about Ananias and Sapphira, quite often it's easy for us to look at the circumstances that they experienced. It's easy to look at that and either pass judgment on God or rejoice at the decision that he made. It's easy for us to do that. And if it was not a divine judgment to cause them to die as a result of 
the events that are described. If, if it was not a divine intervention or divine judgment, then we should be thankful for the opportunity that they did have to come to know the Lord. They certainly did have an opportunity, and based on what I see, it appears to me that they did turn to the living God, at least in a small enough way, so that they could be saved. I do believe that. And even though they were deceptive and dishonest, even though they lied, that doesn't mean that they weren't saved. Lots of saved people lie. Lots of saved people are dishonest and deceptive. Just because that happens doesn't mean that a person is going to have to go to hell. A person is saved on the basis of their faith and belief and trust in the Lord Jesus, not on the basis of their performance or their ability to stop sinning. We know that is true. In addition to that, we can also look at those events and say that the events were a wonderful opportunity for the Lord to give his endorsement on the message that the apostles were presenting, that through the miraculous event, many people took notice. They really did and would seriously consider the message of the apostles as not just some new novelty or some new philosophy, but to really consider it as being real or not real, and to understand the stakes involved, to understand the risk involved of really turning to the true and living God, not just the risks of what the people will do around you, how they will look at you because of your philosophical or religious beliefs, not just that, but how your God will look at you as well, and how seriously he will take your decision. These are wonderful opportunities for the Lord to make use of in order to reveal more about his character. And I sincerely believe that when we look into passages such as Acts chapter 5, that the most important thing to really consider is how can we look at this, how can we look at these passages as an opportunity to really know more about our God. Now with this explanation that I have given, one of the most common responses that I have received when sharing it with other people is that they are very concerned about the sovereignty of God that does he really have control or does he not have control? And I realize that this is a very involved argument, and I honestly don't believe that I will settle this argument right now. I certainly don't. I can only say that from my own perspective, I personally look at our God as being an active participant in our daily lives, not someone who has established all aspects of our daily lives and has predetermined everything that we will possibly experience to the extent where there is no maverick molecule in the universe. I certainly do not believe that. And I also do not believe that our God is waiting up in heaven looking down at us through a telescope of some kind, looking to see how we duke it out amongst ourselves. I honestly don't believe that's the case either. Instead, what I see in the scriptures is evidence that our God is an active participant in our daily lives. And I certainly believe that that is a very good description of the relationship that I have had with him for many years now. That the relationship that I have with my God is a relationship of him actively participating in my daily life, and me having the privilege of being able to actively participate in his life as well as he is living his life on this earth within and through his people and also as himself. Now, as we continue to read in Acts chapter 5, we come to discover that the apostles really do grow an awful lot in terms of their faith in Christ Jesus. We do see that there are new miracles that are performed. For example, in Acts chapter 5, there is the description of people putting other people out in the streets, hoping that the shadow of Peter would fall on them and so that they would be healed. That's one example of miracles that were performed, certainly. But what I believe is most important to understand about Acts chapter 5 is that there was a very significant transition in the faith of the apostles through the imprisonment that was inspired by the high priest. And this was described in Acts chapter 5, verse 17. In Acts chapter 5, verse 17, it says, But the high priest rose up, along with all his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. 
they laid hands on the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. This is a very interesting event that the Lord sent an angel to them to set them free from the prison so that they would go back into the temple and continue to teach, of course being at risk of being captured again and put in prison again. But it's interesting that the Lord would want them to be set free so that they could proceed and continue to speak to the people about what they believed. Now, there's an awful lot that we can understand about the faith of the apostles at this point in this description of what happened. There's an awful lot that we can see. The first thing that we should notice, of course, is that in chapter 5, verse 17, that the high priest and the Sadducees, the people, were actually jealous of the apostles. And don't underestimate the power of jealousy. Jealousy is a very powerful sin that directs and manipulates and controls many people when they see that someone else is drawing other people to themselves, or when they see that other people are thankful or appreciative of what other people are doing, they often can feel a great sense of jealousy because they want to experience that kind of acceptance from other people. They want other people to look up to them as they are looking up to those who they are jealous of. This is a very serious problem, especially in many churches. It's a very big concern that does cause a great deal of conflict and will require quite often a great deal of patience, especially from the pastors who are watching this happen. And they have to be very careful quite often with regards to how they will approach other people because they're going to approach somebody else and say, you know what, your pride is really getting the best of you and it's causing some serious problems here in this church and with regards to my effectiveness and being able to reach out to and pastor these people. It's a serious problem that can be very difficult to address and address well in a very constructive manner so that people won't use that as an opportunity to exercise even more sin. It's a real concern, and certainly they were dealing with it back then. But then when the angel of the Lord released them from prison, he said to them in verse 20, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. The whole message of this life. Now that can be interpreted in various ways. One way to look at it is that the whole message of this life is the whole purpose of this life, or the reason why we even have this life at all, what this life truly is about, the benefit of it, the reality of it, the purpose of it, all of which has to do with us knowing our God. That is the message of this life. But in addition to that, the message of the gospel is about the restoration of life. It is about the restoration of the life of God that had been lost in Adam, that was the message that the apostles were beginning to communicate as they were discovering the seriousness of it, the significance of it, and the importance of it, that other people needed to know that the life that had been lost in Adam was now made available, and it is through the restoration of that life that a person is saved, they are born again of the Spirit, they are made into a child of the living God, and they have an opportunity then to enter into the kingdom of heaven because they have been made alive and they certainly will enter into the kingdom of heaven as soon as they physically die. But what's also very important to see is that in response to the message that the angel gave, they did, sure enough, they did enter into the temple. They entered into the temple and they continued to teach other people about the Lord Jesus. They continued to tell people what the Lord Jesus shared with them. They continued to promote the message of the gospel, even in the face of the persecution that they were experiencing. 
This is a very powerful description of the maturity that the apostles are beginning to really experience. When the Lord Jesus died, for example, they all fled. Nobody was there in order to stand up for the Lord Jesus, in order to testify on behalf of the Lord Jesus. No one was willing to do that. But now there has been a major change. There has been a very significant change in the hearts of the apostles, these specific apostles, a major change to the extent where they are willing to put their own lives at risk, that they are willing to put their own lives on the line in order to promote the message that was revealed to them. I believe that that is a very powerful description of the change of heart that they had experienced over the years, over the course of time, to the extent where they are willing to give up everything about their life in order to promote the message. Definitely they were inspired by the presence of the angel as well, and being set free from prison. Through that experience, they certainly would have even greater conviction and trust in their God, that regardless of what the outcome would be, they would do precisely what they were told that they should do, which was to go back into the temple and continue to teach. And then as you continue to see in Acts chapter 5, you find that they were brought before the council and they were questioned. This is described in Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 27. This is Acts chapter 5, verse 27. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them, But then in verse 34, this is Acts chapter 5, verse 34, we have a very interesting response, and that is from the Pharisee Gamaliel. In verse 34, it says, But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this, Judas of Galilee rose up, and he tells the people in the following passages that they should just simply let God do his work. In other words, if these people are of God, then there was nothing that the Sanhedrin could do against the work of God. But if what they were doing was not of God, to not be concerned about it, because it would certainly pass away. And sure enough, as time went on, it was clearly revealed that this message did not dissipate, and this message has continued on for 2,000 years, which gives evidence that it certainly is of God. Gamaliel was a very respected Pharisee. He was the grandson of the great Rabbi Hillel, who was considered to be the author of what was codified as Pharisaical Judaism. The Talmud says about Gamaliel, it says, Since the Rabban Gamaliel died, the glory of the law has ceased. In other words, he was held in such high regard that it was believed that when he passed away, that it was as if the glory, the personification of the law had ceased. 
that Gamaliel was considered to be the greatest of teachers and Pharisees, the greatest example the world had ever known and probably ever will. And he said that if this message was of God, it would prevail. And sure enough, it did prevail. If only the people would have really considered what Gamaliel had to say about the message of the gospel and about the faith of the apostles of Christ Jesus. There were many miracles that were performed through the apostles. The living God performed many miracles. But one thing that you should definitely notice is that the miracles that were performed, especially early on in the development of the church, those miracles were mainly oriented towards the healing of people's flesh, which was perfectly fine. I certainly don't want to discount that or to suggest that there was anything wrong with that. But it's important to understand that the work of God, that the work of the gospel goes far deeper than just the flesh. It goes far deeper than healing people of infirmities or sicknesses or raising people from the dead. The work of the gospel is much more important than just that. And I sincerely believe that this is something that the church came to discover as time went on, that the real work of the gospel, that the real work of the living God through Christ Jesus as being our Messiah had to do with the healing of a person's heart. The real change of a person's heart and the transformation that would occur as a person would begin to rest and trust in the living God. These moments that the apostles experienced, especially this one, when they gave the profound statement, when Peter gave the profound statement of his conviction that he was to obey God more than he was to obey man, was a very important beginning for the apostle Peter, a very important beginning, that he could truly recognize that he could trust in his God regardless of what anybody else thought regardless of what anybody else said to him. This was a very important moment in his life, and I sincerely believe in the lives of the other apostles, and a very important, pivotal moment that they would actually trust in the living God in a deeper way. Through that, as time would go on, through resting and trusting in him, I sincerely believe that he would provide them with a deep sense of peace and rest in their spirit that could never be taught, that could never be witnessed or testified of that this would be a personal living experience that they would have with their Creator, and this was only the beginning of them having the opportunity to realize that. It would only be the beginning, but there is truly no end to the realization of peace and rest in Christ Jesus. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net